Looks like some kind of insect. A bee. Bees, Scotty. Killer bees. Are you endowing these bees with human motives? Do you have any idea what those bees can do? The honeybee is vital to the environment. Oh, no, not the bees! Not the bees! Ah! Welcome to Killer Bees. This is not a Wu-Tang podcast. No, this is a podcast where we profile B-movie and genre film icons. My name is Garrett Smith. And my name is Tori Potenza. Uh, we can be found everywhere on the internet at Killer Bees Podcast. That's Killer BS Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at gmail.com, and on moviejohn.com. That's J-A-W-N. Our artwork is by Alex Schneider. Our music is by Christine Rayburn and her partner, Pat. And uh, today we are talking about uh, what we have dubbed The Cronin Boys. Yes, so this is the first of uh, a series that I think we'll officially be calling like uh, Killer Bees Double Build. Uh, and essentially, these are uh, actors who don't have a ton of credits um, or like things that are easy to find, whatever. And we just feel like we probably wouldn't be able to do a full episode of just one of them. So we wanted to combine a couple actors that we still think are really cool and wanted to talk about. And so for this episode, we picked uh, Robert A. Silverman and Peter Dvorsky, uh, two people who have worked with Cronenberg several times. So, uh, yes, we have dubbed them the Cronin Boys. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to talk about both of these uh, actors. They're pretty interesting. Um, and also had very hard time finding like any uh, information about them uh, outside of their acting career. So, um, you know, I think that's another interesting thing. It seems like there's even less information on some of these folks who have like uh, fewer credits than some of the other actors we've talked about. Well, and I think especially like we know these guys from being in David Cronenberg's movies. Yes. And... I assume that's where most people recognize both of these yes. actors from. And it seems like when uh, you look them up, you can only find information on them in the context of David Cronenberg. Yes, for sure. They, they, According to the internet, they don't exist out of that, that context. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, we wanted to uh, show some love uh, for these particular uh, actors and... Uh, Especially since we love Cronenberg so much, it felt like a cool kind of like Cronenberg-themed episode to do as well. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm pretty stoked about it. Um, do we want to talk about some movies we've watched? All right, I forgot that we start the show with this. Yeah, um, which I feel like we've watched more lately, mostly because I am doing, uh, I am covering two film festivals for uh, Movie John. So I am doing the Salem Horror Festival and the Nightstream Film Festival. Uh, so we've actually watched uh, some pretty fun, weird stuff from that. But we've also just been, uh, you know, it's Halloween or October. Uh, so it's spooky season. So we've also been catching up on some uh, spooky things. Yeah. Uh, was there anything in particular you wanted to talk about? Uh, I really liked that movie Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. Yes, uh, so that was one of the films I watched for the Nightstream Film Festival, uh, and it is a one-take time travel sci-fi movie. Uh, it's a Japanese film. Uh, that's like a super low budget movie that was done um, was shot on iPhones, and yeah, it 
just takes place in a cafe and an apartment above the cafe and it never really leaves those spaces but then has these like kind of big sci-fi concepts that they're dealing with uh it was super funny it starts as like such a tiny idea that then they're able to like yeah it, it just keeps growing in ways that i kept being like oh i can't believe this is like continuing to expand yeah uh, uh and weird that i was understanding a lot of the sci-fi concepts because at first i was like kind of confused by what was going on yeah it takes a minute to sort of like put the pieces together of how yeah. the rules really work in the universe but they do For have sure. like pretty concrete rules and um they have a lot of fun exploring them. I, I just thought this movie was really uh, entertaining and great. Yes, I agree. Um, I also want to talk about a non-festival movie we watched, but it was one that I had never seen before, or neither of us had seen before, and uh, wanted to check out. Called, and it's uh, Bound uh, from Lily and Lana Wachowski, uh, which was just a really awesome uh, lesbian crime drama. Uh, I like kind of, I didn't forget that we watched this, but I forgot that we didn't watch it for like a purpose that we just yeah. watched this to watch it. Yeah. Cause I think it's available on Hulu yes. right now. It's like somewhere. available somewhere yeah, random Hulu, yeah. and I've been wanting to watch it for ages and have had trouble finding it, but uh, it stars Gina Gershon, uh, Jennifer Tilly and Joe Pantolini. Pantoliano? Yeah, Joey Pants. Joey Pants, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was uh, such an entertaining movie. It's like, you know, Wachowski's doing like a noir film. Uh, I loved this movie. I it was too. great. I, that is like, I don't know, the idea of like a lesbian noir is like just wonderful. Dope. <laughs> and it's so well executed here. There's like so much great sexual tension throughout this movie that it's just kind oh, yeah. of, oh, it's like, that's like all it's really doing, but I mean, it's doing like so much more than that. The other thing is like, it's such a great calling card for the Wachowskis. Like it yeah. is for sure. It might literally be the only one of their movies that takes place in the real world. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's a good point. Like, yeah. Think, Cause you're right. Like we, yeah. It, uh, I think every single yeah. one of their other movies takes place in a fantasy world of some kind. Yeah. And, and yet it's like no less stylish than any other movie they've made. Mm. It's, it is full of, really really great well considered like framing yeah. and compositions and uh you know camera moves and transitions and stuff it is so meticulously crafted it's like it's great yeah fantastic definitely suggest yeah. uh, checking that out really cool the way they achieve a noir by just sort of doing like a black and white color palette mm. not necessarily shooting it in black and white yeah. you know what i mean um i thought that was really impressive yeah, i like that a lot uh, until you and Gershon are both just fucking incredible <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah i think uh i think that's it for me is there anything else you want oh, to talk about uh, the only other one i wanted to bring up from your festival watching uh because i also liked it so much was um name above title is that what it was yes called? uh yeah name which is above a portuguese title. uh film that's about it's 59 minutes long it's really short yeah yeah um it's like a uh it's i mean it's about a serial killer that that goes viral basically mm -hmm. like kind of on accident becomes like a like a youtube star yeah um and but the thing that i liked so much about this movie uh is it's dialogue less yes it's free it's not a silent movie but there is no dialogue in the movie and i was really impressed with the way the filmmakers and the actors were able to i never actually felt like anybody needed to speak I, 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 like, yeah, I it wasn't like waiting for someone to say something. I did notice that people weren't talking. Yeah. So like I didn't notice that that's what they were doing. But I also never like felt like 
it just, I really liked that it didn't feel like, oh, wow, they really like forced their way into this. You know, yeah. it was like it felt very natural to the movie mm-hmm. that nobody ever does speak to each other over the course of the events that we watch. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, there's a there's a movie that I watched ages ago when it was uh, when who when Criterion used to be on Hulu uh, called Man Bites Dog. And oh. it's about like a documentary crew that's essentially following a serial killer um i don't love that movie it gets like a little dark and there's some rape scenes in it that Mm. i think are kind of disturbing but i kind of assumed it was going to be somewhat similar but uh this uh i I don't know this is more of just like a mood and atmosphere piece it's gorgeous it has this amazing soundtrack and uh it's also very funny yeah yeah, it is really funny yeah yeah that is the other thing is it's like a um i'm bad with um aspect ratios but i I think it's like a four by three aspect mm. ratio and it's got like the rounded corners. So I think what they're doing is imitating, like, I think that's a 16 millimeter mm. look, I think. Um, and so anyway, it's these really like symmetrical frames where everything's like very much in the center yeah. of this very square like image. And it is beautiful. Like it's a it, lot of like blown out lights, yeah. which I feel like is a thing we talk about and love in a lot of things. Yeah. That I thought was cool. I also think is a thing that seems like it may be difficult to achieve with digital photography yeah. in the same way that you could with film. And, um, you know, this movie is just like very well shot and I, yeah. and I assume digitally. So I just was like very impressed with uh, yeah. how it kind of all came together as like it's like a big style exercise. Mm-hmm. But it's also like a good movie that was really entertaining. And I did think had like kind of some interesting things to say about its weird premise of like, who do we exalt in the moment? And and then how might we martyr them later? And Mm -hmm. who are who even are they really the whole time? For sure. Uh, Which I, I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've watched three out of the six films I've requested for Nightstream, and so far all of them have been really good and entertaining, and I've liked them all. Um, It's a very short festival. It's only, like, a few days, which is really unfortunate because there's, like, so many interesting movies that, like... There's a lot of stuff you could be watching. Yeah, there's just so, like, everything. I'm like, man, they have just done a great job of programming this festival, so it's, uh, it's pretty cool to be a part of it. Yeah. Uh, cool. Should we dive into our oh, our yeah. Cronin Let's boys? Do it. Get into the Cronin boys. Yeah. So who are we uh, starting with? We are starting with Peter Dvorsky, my uh, guy, patron, who has uh, forty two acting credits. Uh, also, hard to find uh, information on Peter Dvorsky. Additionally, because there is a famous opera singer by the <laughs> same name, and so every time I was looking him up, I just kept finding like videos of this one like big opera singer, and I was like, "Fuck, this is not the guy." I am trying to at first i thought he was also an opera singer and i was like that's interesting i was gonna say the research must have been very funny for a little while oh god it was very confusing but luckily they look very different so that eventually helped me figure out what was going on yeah i mean our peter divorcee is like a very distinct looking fellow it's one of the things i like about him yes um so yeah peter divorcee was born august 27th 1948 uh he was predominantly a stage actor in his early career uh and roles in productions like uncle vanna uh a life in the theater saint joan born yesterday long day's journey and tonight and the philadelphia story uh and he was married to the actress rosemary dunsmore all right Um, His acting career started in the 70s. Um, He was in a TV movie called The Time of Your Life, and he was credited as Society Gentleman. (laughs) Uh 
I could see him as a society gentleman. Yes. And then uh, his next big role is in the 80s, in 1983, uh, which is Videodrome, okay. which is the movie that we love him from so much. This is wild to me that this is the beginning of his career. Yeah. Videodrome feels like the culmination of what Peter Dvorsky is good at in yes. a movie. And it's just like one of the first things he was in and did. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah, so, like, Videodrome is by far my favorite Cronenberg film. Yeah, me too. Um, uh, And he apparently was, uh, he won a Genie Award, or was a Genie Award nominee for Best Supporting Actor at the Fifth Genie Awards in 1984 for his role in Videodrome. Well-deserved. He's so good in this movie. Um, He's such an interesting foil to... uh, Max. Max Wren. Wren. Um, so he, I forget actually what his name in Videodrome is. Oh, Did you say up. that? Uh, but yeah, so, um, uh, Videodrome stars, uh, James Woods. So he he's plays Max Wren. Harlan. So he plays Harlan. Um, he's a video pirate. Yeah, he's a video pirate. He works for, uh, Wren at this sleazy, uh, Channel 83. Channel 83. Yeah. Yes. So it's this like sleazy company that, uh, you know, they're mostly showing like softcore porn and stuff. And they're like a local broadcast channel yeah. that you pick up at two in the morning and they're playing like some kind of racy stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he is the one that shows uh, Ren this, like, piece of tape they find that is Videodrome, and you're essentially watching people get tortured. Yeah. And then Ren becomes obsessed and is like, this is the future. Like, this is what we need to be showing people. And you're just like, what the fuck? We got to broadcast them the Videodrome. Uh, And, yeah, and, uh, you know, Dvorsky is kind of this, like, He's he's a nerd. He plays yeah. a nerd in pretty much everything, but <laughs> there's also a level of like snarkiness in his roles in Cronenberg movies, but also uh I mean he kind of feels like a stoner character yeah. in this too. Well, he's like um he's like that guy that like, you know, Max likes him because he's just focused yeah. on his job of yeah. like pirating these video signals. So he's like, "Hey, Patron." <laughs> yeah, yeah, he calls him Patron all the time. Which is but great. It, but it's like for Max, this is like what Max wants out of people. Yeah. Is like this guy just does the thing that Max wants and yeah. needs him to do. And he's always just like, Yeah, I know enough to kind of get the thing and do yeah. the thing. And he plays kind of fast and loose with like, Yeah, whatever, I don't know the rules. Who cares? I'm a video yeah. pirate. Like and that's what Max wants out of yeah, people. Yeah, he just wants to be able to use him yeah. for this function because yeah. Max doesn't give a fuck about anyone really yeah. except himself. Yeah. And um, so he becomes a character I think we respond to really well early in the movie because yeah. you're like, oh, him and Max like get along. They have like a rapport, yeah. you know? But also like as the movie, it's also a thing where it's like he knows how to deal with his shitty boss. So yes. he just like, yes. he's kind of like doing this act that yes. it warms uh warms him to max the the movie reveals a series of double crosses as it goes on and eventually we are privy to harlan as well has been part of these larger machinations yeah he is part of uh videodrome yeah um, showed him this on purpose it was a tape he showed him not like an actual live stream right right and what i'm trying to remember now is it convex is that what the uh the company is called yeah because it's a barry convex is yeah yeah uh, the lead there that we like yeah Uh, leslie carlson i think is that actor i think so yeah yeah Um, he's also awesome yeah and so 
yeah, like it's yeah, that's the reveal. And Ren is like, "What? Like, Mac? Like, we've been friends?" And he's like, "No, I think you're fucking shit. Like, you're the scum of the earth." Which like is what he is. And so for to have him like tell that to his yeah. face is like also such this like amazing, juicy, like d- the best double cross. I it, love it so it's much. It's great, and it's like this is like Dvorsky's strengths, like all in one big yeah. role where he gets to be this kind of like silly, funny character early on that is like very endearing and then like turn on a dime and be this kind of like hard nosed like he has this whole thing about like you're like like fucking rotting our society uh and you're just like oh fuck like this is so fascinating and it's like but that's also the thing where it's like yeah you're like the boss that just uses people and treats people like shit and people are nice to you but it's like we all fucking hate you and we want to say these things to your fucking face there's also there's that scene where like uh he calls harlan in the middle of the night when Uh he's like max is like having his own like panic attack about something he thinks he killed someone in his bed he thinks he like woke up next to a dead body yeah and so he like calls Harlan to be like, Harlan, come look at this. Let me show you what I've done. And it's like when you, in retrospect of the whole story, when it turns out that like Harlan hates this fucking guy and like yeah. has been poisoning his brain on purpose, gets a call from him in the middle of the night to like come down. Like it is so funny to think about that scene. Yeah, because then it's like, it's is like, he just fucking with him in these moments? Yeah. And... Oh, and also like Harlan probably hates that he got called at two in the morning by this guy to like come down. Yeah, because it's like we're not friends. Yeah, but he's got to like keep up appearances. Is like okay, Patrona, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He like this is so fucking good. This is a role too where I just don't understand how he didn't become more of a movie star than he was. Like he is so fucking good. And I feel like people do not talk about how good he is in this movie enough. I agree. Uh, And it's wild that his career just never really kicks off. I know he could have had like, uh, I don't know if this is a weird comparison, but like a Rick Moranis career of just being like a good, funny side player and things that actually has like enough range to be able to like yeah. play a little bit of drama among some of that stuff. Yeah. Cause I think then like when we talk about some other stuff we watched with Dvorsky, he kind of gets like typecast just as a nerd type. Yeah. Uh, and so, but like there's so many levels to his role as Harlan yeah. and even like his very brief role in like the other Cronenberg movie, which we'll talk about in a little while yeah. where it's like, there's something where they're able to give like him the snark and the nerdiness and all this stuff. Uh, but yeah, snark this is such is a, a meaty role. He's very snarky. Yeah, he is snarky, which yeah. I love. And and more people seem to just pick up, oh yeah, you're like a nerd type. Great, you're going to yeah, be yeah. perfect in this nerd type kind of role. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, and Videodrome is just like, uh, we could sit here, we should just at some point do a podcast on Videodrome because <sighs> it is... I mean, it's my Such favorite. a great movie. I yeah. Love it. And it's like a wonderful movie to talk about because I feel like every time I watch it, there's like new things that I think about because yeah. of that movie. Absolutely. It, it, that movie is like the Videodrome of its title. It's yeah. like this weird thing that feels like it shouldn't exist, you yeah. know? I mean, this is a movie like I had only watched for the first time a couple years ago when you and I started dating. Um, and this was the movie that one made me like a Cronenberg fan, but I I remember us sitting there watching it. And I felt like my mouth was open the whole time, just like a gasp because I was like I was just like had never watched something that just so perfectly uh, dealt with like a lot of my anxieties sure. about the world yeah. and society and like what's happening and yeah, and then there's so many interesting like gender issues yeah. and yeah, and it's 
you know, all of the, uh, like, body dysmorphia and, like, evolution of bodies is really fascinating. It's just, it's the best. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, like, visually stunning in a way that many of Cronenberg's yeah. movies are. But for some reason, this one, I think, like, really stands out in my mind, yep. like, when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, Dvorsky is fantastic. He rocks this movie's amazing. Yeah. I now have a Debbie Harry video drum tattoo on me. <laughs> like, this is my shit. Um, and but then yeah, the same year um, he does uh, his second Cronenberg movie, which is The Dead Zone. Which uh, Videodrome was a flop. Cronenberg uh, like this was a thing he was excited yeah. about, loved. People fucking hated it when it first came out. He takes this role doing The Dead Zone, which is I think his first uh, film adaptation that he directs. Um, yeah, this might be the first thing that's not like an original Cronenberg thing. Yes, and uh, and then yeah, and you know. Seems like he's like heartbroken while he is making this film. Um, so uh, we watched The Dead Zone uh, for the first time, like maybe like a year or so ago. I don't love this movie, but I think I mostly don't love it as a Cronenberg movie. Yeah. And I feel like maybe I should watch it more detached from that idea because uh, I, I just love Cronenberg so much. And I think this is not a uh, top tier Cronenberg. I know people like this movie, too, but it's this is one of the ones where I'm like, I don't know if I get it. I feel like when I watched this movie, I could feel that his heart was not in yeah. it, uh, which like made me sad because he feels like a person that I understand when I watch his movies. Yeah. And this is like, oh, he like didn't want to do this. Yeah. And there's lots of interesting stuff in it. There's also a lot of good filmmaking in it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. There's um, some there's actually one scene in that like house. Yeah. Uh, there's this really creepy, strange scene where they're like tracking down this like killer character yeah, that yeah. I always remember, and I'm like, oh, this is a good, this is a good piece of like. Yeah. I feel like I could tell Cronenberg liked doing this scene. Yeah, I think there's good stuff in it, and but but yeah, I don't think it totally comes together in a way that like totally yeah. works for me. It does have a lot of good walking stuff. The ice is going to break. <laughs> yeah, the walking stuff is really good. Uh, I mean, Martin Sheen is really good. I'm a huge fan of him. Yeah. And so seeing him kind of play this corrupt it's politician like is really... In, yeah, it, yeah. the timing of watching this yeah. movie was very interesting, too. Um, but yeah, Dvorsky's got a very small role in this one. Um, so he's early on in the film after Walken has woken up from his coma and has kind of realized he has some of these psychic abilities and there is a press conference going on and Dvorsky is one of the journalists that's there right. trying to get some information and like is poking fun at him. He's like, what, are you some kind of psychic? Then like, tell me something. Tell me anything or whatever. And then Walken's like, well, I, I don't know how to do that. I, I like touched the person, the other person, and that's yeah. how I like knew and so he's like fine touch me and like tell me and then he's just like oh okay and he freaks him out and brings up like his sister's suicide and stuff so <laughs> then Dvorsky character just like freaks out and he's just like I don't want to do this like you're a fucking weirdo <laughs> uh, so it's like you know he he is definitely playing nerd type but then he also is like playing like the snarky per character that is making fun of Walken's character who's uh, supposedly developed these psychic abilities right, and everything okay, yeah so full on snark mode, uh, yeah, Dvorsky. Absolutely. Yeah, but just for like a scene, basically. Yeah, which, yeah, it's unfortunate too, because I'm like, you know, he was so good in video drama. It's like Cronenberg, you should know to use this guy. I know for real. I I wish there was more Dvorsky throughout Cronenberg's uh, career. Yes, I agree. Um, 
So then in 1985, he does a TV movie called The Park is Mine with Tommy Lee Jones and Yafet Koto. Uh, Interesting I cast. I think I meant to put a description here because I believe it is available somewhere. Uh, and it was like a very silly sounding. Uh, oh, here I found it. Um, a Vietnam vet takes forceful control of Central Park to remember those who served and died in the Vietnam War. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So it's like a weird, dark thing where Tommy Lee Jones just takes over a park. <laughs> okay. Like it sounds like a, sounds like a Rambo nuts. knockoff kind of film or something. Um, and then he is in another TV movie after that uh, called Murder in Space. Murder in space uh, which also stars michael ironside and wilford brimley hell yeah it does uh this is a movie that is not super available but we found on youtube yeah you just do a quick youtube search on this bad boy and yeah. find it it's uh, not great quality uh but it's you know a canadian made for tv movie and it was like it looks like it might be a series or something because it was like a a whodunit special or something when yeah, the yeah. movie started. And so it is kind of this like... It's an Agatha Christie story on a, a spaceship. Yeah, there's this crew that is up in space. All of them are from different countries. Um, it's during the Cold War. So there's like some Russian uh, astronauts up there, some American, English, all this stuff. So there's all this extra like tension because of just like where the nations stand at the time and it's the cold war so like literally anything could make war break out yeah the tension of the movie is all in are the russians hiding anything from us yeah. even aboard this spaceship and then as murders start to happen it's like can we even report these to the public or will that like yeah. cause unrest yeah so early on like the murder is this like female russian astronaut who Who's set is to be married to a diplomat or something or like someone that like just took power yeah, yeah. in russia and it's like oh this guy will like fucking murder people mm-hmm. um and she was like two months pregnant so there's this whole like intrigue was about what's going cheating on on him yes yeah, uh yeah. but With someone aboard the spaceship <laughs> yes yeah uh also this is Maybe the horniest movie I've ever watched. It is wildly horny. You like basically the movie <laughs> is comprised of a murder happens, everybody pairs off and has some sex, and you go like, oh my god! So they could all be in on this in some way because yeah. they're all fucking each other. Yeah, it's and like the way to build the intrigue. Happens, <laughs> and then they all pair off in different pairs, and you're like, oh my god! They're all cheating on each other with other people. Yeah. Like they just keep building more tension into the who done it by just like yeah. he's sleeping with her, who's sleeping with him, who's actually gay, so that's why he's sleeping with her because he doesn't want any suspicion to fall on him. Like you're just like, what whoa. the fuck? Yeah. yeah, it's so like when the movie started, and I was like, the first couple, you're like, oh okay, so these people are fucking in space. Yeah. All right, cool. And then you keep meeting people, and you're like, oh, they're also fucking in space. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah. Like who comprised this crew of people that was so horny? They were just all like. I know we're doing special space stuff and, like, going to Mars, but we also need to be fucking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, by the way, like, the Perot character of this is basically Wilford Brimley, who is, like, sleepily at the, like, NASA, like, whatever, like, uh, you know. Sta- headquarters. Headquarters, or, like, yeah. on Earth. He's not even on the ship. He's doing all the detective work yeah. from just, like, 
having Zoom calls with everybody that's on the spaceship. Yeah, it's like him and Dvorsky's character, who I think is like works for the CIA or something. Right, they make some reference to he like he says something like "Don't blow my cover" or something. Yeah, so he's there to like he's like secretly from the CIA monitoring this situation. Because there's again, it's like there's Cold War, so there's all this fucking intrigue with everyone. Um, And Dvorsky's good in this role. Like again, he's like kind of nerdy, but then because he works for the he's got this extra level of being kind of sinister and like trying to like also like find out all of these secrets and gather intel a lot of like authority to his character which feels like a little bit of a different turn for him which is cool to see i agree um yeah, it's a. Uh, it, it was an interesting one. I was glad we watched it because I think he like had more screen time than yeah. I expected. Because uh, I think most of the stuff he does from here on out, he's just got like he, like bit roles in. He's like a scene stealer. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, he's really good and like holds himself well against uh, Brimley and Ironside, who yeah. you know I think are. Uh, people we think of like as bigger like b-movie yeah. folks i mean to be fair wilford brimley's mustache is doing most of wilford brimley's acting in this movie it did feel like brimley was like kind of asleep at the wheel and the mustache was just like bobbling the words well out of it's his mouth. so funny at the end when he has like the perot moment of being like i'm gonna reveal how i know <laughs> yeah. all of the things that happened and it's like, wait, how do you know all of these yeah, things? Yeah, yeah. You've been doing nothing this yeah. whole time. And then he's like standing in front of Ironside just being like, and then this and this. And I was like, and then it, it spends like, what, the last 15 minutes just showing us flashbacks. Oh, yeah. This is like not necessarily <laughs> a long movie, but at least 10 minutes of it are comprised of footage you've already seen in the movie like, as he montages okay. his way through a like long explanation of what happened. You're like, oh, yeah, thank you. This was an 80 minute movie. Yeah. I may have forgotten these scenes that yeah. I I've seen already. And he also like overly explains all those details where you're like, yeah, yeah, guy, I got it. You just need to tell me who done it. And the rest of the pieces fall right into place. Yep. Yep. It was, uh, it was interesting, but uh, a fun watch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He then does a bridge to Terabithia TV movie that happened in the eighties. Yeah. Lots of TV stuff. Uh, In 1986, he was in a TV movie called sword of Gideon Uh with Michael York. Uh, which chronicles a Mossad team handpicked to hunt down the terrorists involved in the 1972 Munich uh, Olympics massacre of Israel athletes. That's interesting. Yeah. It's also weird to be like, I was like, oh, they made Munich movies before the movie Munich. And it's like, (laughs) well, yeah, this was a historical event from years ago. Um, And then in 1987, um, he was in the Alfred Hitchcock Hour uh, episode, The Anniversary Gift, which this was hard for us to find because, first off, there's the Alfred Hitchcock Hour, then there's the Alfred Hitchcock Hitchcock Presents, uh, which are different things. And... And I actually think oh, this his, was presents. His actually. is presents. It's yeah. not our, and it's it's the new Alfred Hitchcock presents. Yes, so which is different from Alfred Hitchcock presents. Yeah, because Hitchcock, I was not. Was he dead by now? He might have been. Or, yeah. yeah, it's like late eighties. I think that this series comes out. Yeah, so it's the eighties, um, and it seems like I don't know if it's every episode, but this episode as well. When I was trying to look this up, there is one from the original Alfred Hitchcock presents. So okay. I think they also maybe redid some of the old uh, episodes with like an eighties cast. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's like him uh, playing this like 
we I guess think is like some sort of rich businessman or something. I who, always call these guys finance bros. Whenever finance it's like bros. an unspecified white yeah. guy in a tie being like, ah, the money. I'm like, yeah, finance bros. Yeah, it's like stuff I don't understand yeah. at all. Um, so he's like married to this woman. Their anniversary is coming up. Uh, you find out that she is actually cheating on him with someone and they are hoping to kill him and like get the money. Yeah. Um, but, like, there's this whole extra layer to it, which is really weird, where he just collects a lot of, like, exotic pets. So he loves he's got, aminals. Yeah, he's got spiders and an owl and snakes. And it's, like, he just has, like, all of these things. And he's she fucking like, hates them. He's got, like, a lot of them. He's it's got not like, so many. It's not even like he's got one of each. He's got, like, three snakes, four spiders. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, not a fan of the spiders. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so then the whole thing is that it's surrounding, like, her trying to, like, sneak a poisonous snake in the house to kill him. There is a particular poisonous snake that just so happens to look like a very non-lethal snake. Yeah, which is a real thing, right. and I forget it's the like names. It's a king snake versus a, what was the poisonous oh, I one? I forget. The king snake is, like, the harmless one. And then there was, like, a poisonous one that looks just like it. So yeah, because their stripe patterns are very similar, but it's, like, one... Um, is like slightly thicker or like oh yeah it's a king snake and a coral snake sure coral snake. so yeah right. coral snakes i believe are the poisonous yeah. ones and she basically wants to buy him a coral snake tell him it's a king snake and then leave the house and wait until he's dead yeah so this says coral snakes have yellow and red bands that touch each other while black bands always separate the yellow and red bands on king snakes there you go. which it's like man if I was ever in a situation where Wouldn't that was time. a thing, I would not have time to think about Wouldn't that. have time to figure that out. <laughs> not at all. Like, that doesn't actually help nope. me in any practical sense. Nope. Um, but, yeah, this is fun. He, I think it, this is very much them just being like, yeah, you're playing a nerd. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. love your wife, and she does not love you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's not even, like, there's no, like, twist where he, like, ac- was actually a part of killing her. He no. was just, like sad and no, but the, he had a snake that he loved the twist is that she fucks it up yeah she I mean? like accidentally it's, kills herself yeah. with the snake yeah. <laughs> and so it was a very weird episode yeah. i wonder if the original was the same or if yeah. they tried to make it slightly different i don't know it was yeah. very weird it was it was fun for me to watch mostly because he was playing just like a schlub in it and i thought that was like a funny thing for him to, to have to play yeah um, and then in 1988, he was in the movie Casual Sex, starring Leah Thompson. By the way, she said it that way on purpose. It is literally called Casual Sex? Yep. Question mark? Uh, with high hopes on their quest to track down the perfect man, two girls take a vacation at a plush health resort, but unfortunately, the men they encounter seem to wilt at the thought of anything more than casual sex. Okay. So, so, the, so the title is a question from the dudes that they meet? perspective that's right? dumb that, i thought They're, it was a movie about them wanting casual yeah. sex or i'm like yeah way to go 80s and also like it doesn't even sound like the dudes are the star of the movie why is that whatever. no yeah and he's like just like a one name person so i'm assuming he's one of the dudes right right <laughs> Um, he's then in a movie called The Kiss, which I actually think sounds kind of interesting. Um, after the death of her mother, a teenage girl is faced with bizarre supernatural occurrences when her mo- her mother's estranged sister arrives and begins to il- infiltrate her and her father's lives. Hmm. All right. I'm like, okay. 
Sounds like PV movie. Um, movie. and then he also has a small role. I kind of forgot we watched this <laughs> yeah. in the movie Twins. Twins, <laughs> a movie that I had been told my whole life was a fun, funny movie. I think most people are wrong. Uh, yeah, this is. I mean, it's. I feel like this is a movie that you probably should not watch for the first time in your life, years and years later, at yeah. the age of thirty. Yeah, like, yeah. I just feel like not, I was like, like I like, um, I like both of them. Yeah. I've really like Schwarzenegger has grown on me a lot, but uh, God, yeah. what a and Devi- no, I've, yeah, I've like always liked Devito, but yeah. like this is like fucking weird. <laughs> yeah. I and I just like the plot of it is so complicated. It's weird in a way that I wanted to enjoy because it's very yeah. funny to me that this movie that the joke of is like, wow, these two guys that don't look alike are twins. Yep, like that's the premise of the movie, and so it's very funny yeah. to me that it has this like way overly convoluted plot. Yep, but then. Like the movie itself doesn't actually seem to be making that joke. It ju- like it yeah. just has this overly convoluted plot that's like yep. a little bit hard to follow, and then it means a lot of the scenes are weirdly kind of like taken seriously. There's not that yeah. many jokes throughout them. Yeah, it's strange. Yeah, very strange. There are like not that many jokes in this movie that is ostensibly a comedy. Yeah, we also thought Dvorsky was going to be the main baddie. Ah, I was so mad when this movie (laughs) took him out of the picture because yeah, I thought he was going to be like the main villain of the movie. Also shows up, and you were so stoked because he was wearing like the best Hawaiian shirt ever, and you're like, yeah. He had an outfit (laughs) on that was so incredible. I wanted to try and find exactly it online and order it. (laughs) It was like these short shorts with like pineapples on them, and then this yeah. like large collared uh, like Hawaiian shirt with like yep. you know some uh, red flowers on it. Tropical shit. Oh yeah, know? very tropical. Yeah. It was like a mismatched like short shorts, big shirt. I was like, I, I gotta have this. Yeah. And then uh, yeah, he gets shot pretty soon later by the yeah. actual bad guy. Who also he's not even a big part of the movie. It's very weird. Oh, but that guy is played by the dude that we really like from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Two. Uh, I believe he's the, yeah, gym, the teacher gym teacher in that movie. He's a really good actor that I did think was fun in this like villain role. Yeah. But also like is barely in the movie. You're like, what? So yeah, weird movie. <laughs> um, yeah, twins. Not not very good. Don't know no. what people are on about. <laughs> Um, in 1989, he was in the movie called Millennium, starring Chris Christopherson and Cheryl Ladd, about an NTSB investigator seeking the cause of an airline disaster meets a warrior woman from a thousand years in the future. She replaces the people from airplanes before they crash with corpses with the same features. What the fuck did you Why? just say to me? <laughs> this sounds insane. What the fuck is this movie? This is a movie? Yes, it is a movie. This, this is a real movie? Yeah. Why didn't we watch this very real movie? Oh, this I don't know. Sounds insane. Oh, I remember this cover. Yeah. Wow. I don't know. Okay. I feel like I put this I put this description here because it sounded interesting, and then I feel like I blacked out and forgot about it until just now when I was reading this. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I already forgot that this exists, and I'm looking at its IMDb page currently. So weird. Yeah. Uh, well, we need to see that. <laughs> then uh, we get to some of his roles in the 90s. Uh, in 1992, he was in a TV movie called Terror on Track 9 cool. uh, that has Vin Rames in it as a character named Jelly Roll, which yeah, is just you, you betcha. <laughs> it's such a funny name. But specifically for Vin Rames. Um, in 1994, he was in a TV movie called Mesmer, starring Alan Rickman. He's worked with so many interesting people right? and, and, like, in TV movies. Yeah, so many TV movies. Yeah. And then in 1998, he's in a movie called The Long Way Home with Sarah Paulson and Jack Lemmon. I like Jack Lemmon a lot. 
Uh, I also like Sarah Paulson a lot. And oh, yeah. It's, like, interesting. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, her doing 90s stuff. Like, you know. Uh, and then he has one role in the 2000s. In 2001, he's in a TV movie called Midwives uh, with Sissy Spacek and Allison Pill. Oh, okay. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, he he died in on March 2nd, 2019. So it seems like he oh, ended recently. his. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so he like after 2001 just kind of stopped acting. He retired. Yeah. Um, he, he died in Toronto. And I like just after that, like couldn't find like any other information on him. I really wanted to know like what else he had done and yeah. uh, I couldn't find interviews or anything. It's unfortunate. I mean, I suspect that the reason so many of these are TV movies is that he did most of his work in Canada. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's where a lot of that stuff gets yeah. made, whether it is a Canadian or American, you know, whichever yeah. one it's for broadcast for. Um, um, but yeah, I feel like I'm glad we did him, especially because I feel like he's never been given the credit he's due, really. And his role in Videodrome alone is so fucking good that it is like a travesty that he did yeah. not have a bigger career. It is so good that I think about this actor all the time and literally have wanted to go like, well, what else did he do? Yeah. So it was nice to like have an excuse to like kind of look around yeah. at some other work of his. I agree. Um, and then, yeah, so we're also going to talk about Robert A. Silverman, uh, who has 25 acting credits. Um, so he uh, was born February 24th, 1943 in Montreal. Um, I just found like a brief interview with him on YouTube that I'll probably post on our social media mm. when this is up. Um where he talks a little bit about meeting in Cronenberg, but he said he also started in stage acting. He okay. said from like 21 to 31, he was like doing stage acting and then wanted to kind of break into acting. He said he like went to LA and all this stuff and things kind of didn't work out. And then he meets David Cronenberg, uh, which is kind of cool. Um, so his first film role was in 1964. Uh, he was in a drama called Caressed. Okay. And then um, doesn't act in anything for 10 more years. Uh, in 1974, he does a room called 125 Rooms of Comfort. Okay. Um, after commitment in a mental asylum following his father's death, rock and, roll Billy jo- rock and roller Billy Joyce returns to his ancestral home to take possession of the family's hotel. Okay. Yep. Um, and then in 1977, he gets his first role with Cronenberg in Rabbit. He plays a man in hospital. So he gets just a teeny role uh, in this first Cronenberg movie. Uh, in the interview, he, like, talked about working with Cronenberg. And he's just like, this is the only guy, like, this is the only guy or dude I could work with up here <laughs> or something. Which is, like, I guess is in reference to working in Canada. Where he's uh, like, yeah. this is the only guy. Which I like that idea that they vibe so much. Because he and Cronenberg worked together for years. Right. Uh, which is, even with his small acting career, like, he's worked with him for a very long time. Which is really fun. Yeah, and this is, like, for me, this is one of my, like, lesser favorite Cronenberg movies. Yeah, I would like to watch it again. I think it has some interesting ideas, and it tries to kind of expand upon some of the stuff he does in uh, Shivers. Shivers, yeah. Um, I like Shivers more. I don't yeah. know. And uh, Silverman said that he had been a fan of Cronenberg before that. And he saw some of his early, like, student films, like Crimes of the Future. And I forget what the other one is called. Um, There's a pack of those that I would like to get at some point to watch. Okay, we should, yeah. Um, So, yeah, he said he had been a fan of his anyway. And then, like, gets to kind of get in on the ground floor. Because, like, Shivers is is Cronenberg's first big, like, role. um, And Rabbit is right after this. Um, 
Yeah, rabbit. Rabbit's okay. I I yeah. wish I liked it more. Uh, but uh, yeah, tons of like interesting stuff in there. Um, as far as like a woman that's like kind of like a vampire in the way right. she like murders people. Uh, but uh, yeah, kind of like tries to go like balls to the wall, like batshit crazy in a way that like actually doesn't work. Yeah, uh, because yeah. it seems like it's it would be more interesting as this like smaller story. Um. So yeah, uh, not not my favorites. Yeah, same, same. Uh, and then after that, uh, he is in a movie called One Night Stand in 1978 about a woman who picks up a man who might be a psychopath. <laughs> Who does he play? Do you know? I don't. I think it was like a small role, which is why I like didn't try seeking it out. Okay, he plays Nick. It says he plays Nick. I just was curious if if like is Nick the the killer that the she picks up because that for the crazy person that seems like a good role. For I him. know. Um, and then in 1979, he gets his uh, next like bigger Cronenberg role. He plays Jan Hartog in The Brood, which is Hell one yeah. of my favorite uh, character names. It's just so weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, so The Brood is like one of my favorite Cronenbergs. I love this movie a lot. Um, and uh, so yeah, it's like if you know, you haven't seen this movie. It has a lot to do with like kind of this like new wave of psychiatry. And specifically it stars Oliver Reed as this man that is uh, doing, it's called psychoplastics, I think, or plasmics, psychoplasmics. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, kind of what starts to happen is he's like, you know, making people confront their like past and fears and all this stuff kind of through like, role playing right um but bringing all this stuff up actually starts to make people grow like tumors and like these weird growths all over their body yeah the trauma is like manifesting physically in yeah. strange ways and so uh samantha eggers who plays uh one of the lead the lead character's wife he forget oh art uh hindle i yeah, believe his name is that sounds right um his uh his wife is one of the patients and she is starting to have see, show these effects when you find out that she's like giving birth to these like uh like anger babies essentially yeah, she's like spawning off these little rage children yeah these ra- yeah that are like yeah all born from her like childhood trauma and her like issues with her uh husband who she's like separated from kind of uh they have like a really tumultuous relationship she's not able to spend much time with her daughter so she's like giving birth to all of these like rage babies that are then going off and killing people um it's a wild movie but like he meets uh silverman's character because he is trying to like prove that what oliver reed is doing is bad for these people so he can also like win the custody case so he can like get control of his daughter um and he silverman's like a former patient of his. yeah silverman's a former patient that i believe like has a suit against him and he's like talking about like what all of the psychoplastics has done to him and he like has this scarf on and when he takes it off you just see across his neck this giant growth um that has been born from uh all of the uh, psychiatric uh, work he's done with Reed's character. You know that podcast with Gorley and Rust that we've listened to a few times? They watched this movie and they kept referring to this character as neck giblets, which is all (laughs) I think about when I think of him in this movie now. Um, 
But like he is such an interesting presence because he always has like a little bit of this like weirdo energy that yeah. he brings to his characters. And that's definitely present here. Like it feels like um Hindle's character is pretty like put off by him and doesn't really want to be spending time with him at all and is really only there because he's trying to get all of this uh stuff for his court case. Right. And uh you know, is just like, oh god, I have to deal with this weird dude and his neck giblets. And <laughs> Silverman is like a very effectively off-putting presence. Yes, but uh, he, he like is wielding his own like presence as an actor that way, For which sure. is really interesting to watch. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think this is like one of his like better performances too, because he just. Uh, I always remember the scenes oh, yeah. with him specifically in this movie. He yeah. always just stands out. There's like something about the way he's using his voice in this movie too mm-hmm. that I think like really uh, yeah it's, uh, the the whole performance is yeah. like really so solid yeah um he in then we get to his roles in the eighties in 1980 he is in the movie Prom Night with Jamie Lee Curtis which uh you had never seen before I had so never we seen this. we actually we watched, watched this one I thought this movie was good I'm a sucker for slashers generally yeah. speaking. I kind of liked that this slasher was like really simple. It's like literally a person in a ski mask yeah. with a, a knife, basically. With a, it's a piece of glass. That's yeah, yeah, broken right. Off. Piece of it's glass, like, yeah. Right. It's like as simple as it can be. Yeah. And I really liked that. I love Jamie Lee Curtis. I there's yeah. like a five minute dance number in this with her oh, that she, is incredible. I want to know if she has like a history in dance because she's done a couple things now where I've just seen people post her dancing in other movies yeah. where I'm like, fuck, Jamie Lee Curtis can move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's like doing some like awesome choreography. Yeah, she does this whole disco with her like boyfriend yeah. at the prom, yeah. and you're like, fuck yeah. It's straight up is like a whole song. It's like five. It's like a five minute sequence in the movie. It's, yeah. It's great. Um, but I, I, I also thought, like, there's some interesting editing in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, there's some stuff that I thought was really interesting about this. It's not great. But... I think it's, like, overall kind of boring. Yeah. Um, I love the Promenade sequels. Uh, uh, they're super wild. Yeah. And uh, and it's always weird that it's, like, when you watch this movie and then see where they they go. And the, the sequels don't have anything to do with this first movie. But uh, they just kind of take the name on itself. But... Yeah, it's a, uh, you know, I, I love a good slasher. I just, uh, God, I wish there was more, like, blood or... Yeah, it's, uh, the, you're right. The the violence itself is very tame in this movie. Until yeah. it's not. There is actually has a great finale it, kill. It does. Yeah. Uh, but then there's also, like, weird stuff where it's, like, there are characters that are, like, main parts of it, including, uh, what is it, Leslie Nielsen? Yeah. Uh, who then just, like, drop off and are yeah, no right. longer a part of it at all. And you're like, where did they go? Why yeah, are they yeah, yeah. no longer in this movie that they were, like, a major character in a minute yeah, that's ago? True. That's true. Uh, so yeah, but like you know, it's it's a classic. So I'm glad I like rewatched it too. Yeah, um, I liked it overall. And and Silverman uh, plays a kind of fun, funny character where again, it's like he's always playing these characters that I think are supposed to weird you out in some way. Yeah, and he's like he's like a a custodian at the school. Yeah, that everyone thinks is like a pervert. Right, that everybody is just like obsessed with being like, oh, he's perverted. And they do show us him like kind of leering at some of the girls occasionally. But you sort of get the impression at the end of the day that it's like he's actually just kind of like watching the school and making sure things are like okay. Yeah, and I didn't even get the impression that he was necessarily leering. Yeah. I got the impression more that like there everyone's like this dude's a fucking creep, and some of the girls were legit just like, oh yeah, I'll like show him my ass and right. stuff. And so it's like like people start going out of their way to like fuck with him yeah. or like try to like 
playfully like you know right. seduce him uh and and then it kind of turns out that he sees what's going on he like saw he like knows there's a murderer there but he's like the creep and the drunk and so no one actually takes him seriously right. and so it's actually that like, there is a level of like sadness to yeah, this uh, role that's kind of interesting too yeah and, like, when this movie started and they keep talking about, like, oh, yeah, like, the gross pervert that works, like, at the school and they show him. We're like, of course, of course this is the person you, you are. Because, yeah. like, he does give off that weird energy and that's, like, yeah. just what they utilized it for in this movie. Yeah, they even give him, like, a pair of glasses with some tape in the middle. Oh, yeah, his broken yeah. glasses. Yeah. Um, and then in 1981, he is in the movie Scanners. Hell yeah. Um, which I like vaguely remember him in Scanners. I feel like I don't remember a ton about his role. Um, he's like another one of these people that they like meet up with on their quest. And I was going to say, my only memory of it is that it's very similar to his role in The Brood. Where yeah. He's like, he still gives like a of decent the performance. Along the way, he gives like a little bit of expository information. Yeah. Um, yeah, and which, like, yeah, that, like, seems kind of like his role that he yeah. gets in a lot of these things. But, yeah, he's, like, I mean, I don't remember the specifics. And I, sh- I tried to look it up, but, again, it's, like, hard just to find clips of some of this stuff. Gainers is one of those movies that I absolutely love, but then every time I watch it, I forget that, like, I actually only like about 10 minutes of that movie. And mm-hmm. there's, like, 80 in the middle where they're just, like on this endless road trip with this boring lead character yeah. and it, like I know that's that's the other thing too is like Cronenberg uh has a series of like leads that are, have like zero charisma <laughs> yeah. which I think is really interesting yeah um yeah but I mean it's got Michael Ironside yes. it's got exploding heads yes and it's got uh fucking Patrick McGowan going scunners scunners <laughs> so it's like what what's yeah. not to love yeah true true <laughs> um and then in uh, 1982, he's in the movie 984, Prisoner of the Future. Great title. A corporate executive is taken prisoner by an underground organization known as The Movement, and it turned over to a ruthless interrogator. Sounds good. Yeah. I, I love how many movies have the organization, the movement. The, I know. Like these sort of nameless, or, uh, faceless organizations. Um, and then he also was in an episode of the Friday the 13th TV series, which yeah, is pretty fun. We gotta get our hands on that at some point. I'd I like to see that. Uh, and then we get to his roles in the 90s. Uh, in 1991, he is in Naked Lunch, uh, which we watched recently for yeah. the first time, like a couple months ago. Yeah, for um, our Peter Weller. Yeah, and uh, I wrote about it for my Cronenberg on Sex and Gender yeah. series on Movie John. Um yeah, I mean, he definitely is perfect for this movie because uh-huh. it is like a weird drug-induced beatnik kind of uh, road trippy movie. He fits right. It, like he makes sense to me as like yeah. a, a beatnik that you would just like meet along your like drug trails. Yeah, because you know? yeah, Peter Weller keeps just like meeting and interacting with these like very strange characters as he's on this like drug-induced trip the whole time and so um he is one of the characters that he meets up with and it's like yeah of course like this is the kind of guy that's like because they're also like what's it the interzone is the place where they're all like hiding out in it's like yeah of course this is the spot where like you're hiding out uh because you did some sort of like weird uh explicit activities and everything right um yeah but uh yeah i mean i just love like because he works with Cronenberg consistently like 
years later. Yeah. Uh, so it's like cool that he is just like such a Cronenberg guy. Yeah, and it's interesting that he's always good casting too it's never like oh Cronenberg just like threw his guy into his mo-, you know it's yeah like he's always the right choice for the stuff that yeah. Cronenberg is, is pulling him into yeah he's never really the lead but he is always like a very uh he's always very good in the side character role they give him and knows how to like just be that weirdo you're with for a couple minutes in the movie and he's usually like a like a pivotal one yes, you know what i mean like the sure. stuff that he's doing in that scene is usually like kind of important to the the movie yeah um then in 1995 he is in water world uh his role is quote the hydraulic <laughs> so i have seen water world but like when i was very very young mm-hmm. like maybe middle school age. i've never seen water worlds i just know it's a thing that people make fun of all the time that came out early on in my childhood yeah it's like a big ambitious like post-apocalyptic thing it's kind of mm-hmm. like mad max on the water yeah um it is fun um, I would like to watch it, I think. But, but it is also easy to make fun. I mean, they literally, like, they, they go out of their way to explain that, like, oh, we, we, we gotta, we recycle our own urine and turn it into drinkable water. Mm. It's like, we, you didn't need to, but we don't, that doesn't have to be, like, a plot point in yeah. the movie that we're all drinking our own piss. Yeah, I'm like, why? Also, with his, like, what's it, the hydroholic, is, like, is he, like, a drunk of some sort that gets drunk off of, like, some sort of water thing that there they have made? actually probably is something like that in the movie that I'm yeah. not, like, totally remembering. Yeah. but And, like, uh, you know, I haven't seen this movie, but, like, given what I know, again, seems like the type of actor that you put in a yes. movie like this to just yes. be uh, one of these people living in this post-apocalyptic world. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I we it would be fun to watch this movie now because I I remember it being like real fucking weird. Yeah. Um, and then in 1999 he was in Existence, uh, which is another David Cronenberg film <laughs> that we watched recently uh, yeah. for my Cronenberg on sex and gender. But then we also talked about it uh, for our Jennifer Jason Lee episode. Yeah. Uh, it makes like an interesting comparison. It's like one of the only times in his career that it feels like he's maybe like very specifically revisiting some stuff because it makes a kind of interesting counterpart to Videodrome. I yes, think. for sure. Um, yeah, and uh, I remember Silverman's character pretty well in this too because like when they first like enter the game yeah. they're like they start off in this store it, yeah like a gift shop or yeah something. it's like yeah. a weird shop that they like need to like get some stuff from this guy and it's silverman who yeah, seems gotta gear to like up run before the, you start playing the game yeah he yeah. like runs the shop and like is the one that provides them with the materials they need to gear up. And he is kind of just this creep that like runs this space. Yes. And uh, it's also funny seeing him play like the same kind of roles where he's like getting older and he's still just like, he's like, all right, I'm like, you know, 10, 15 years yeah. older, but I'm still like that creep, that yeah, weirdo. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't like this movie nearly as much as I like video drum, yeah. but I think there's lots of interesting stuff here. And it is interesting to me that, Cronenberg kind of like after doing a whole movie about like video and TV. Yeah. uh, Not that that's entirely what that movie is about, but you know. But like then it's like video games. Yeah. Like what is the next evolution of some of that stuff? And yeah. And I, um, yeah, I agree that I I don't love this movie, but I, I thought this was a really interesting movie to write about. Like after we watched Mm -hmm. it, I was like, yes, there is so much stuff that is like uh, inherently Cronenberg. 
Um, it's so much stuff that is like fleshy and weird and like it's a video game you basically have to fuck to play. Yeah, and it's like, is this evolution? Is this yeah. devolution? Like, what are we doing? Yeah. And why? Yeah, it's just it's all very interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, and I always forget about how really wild it gets with the layers of it by the end, where yes. it's like you come out into a very different reality than you entered into. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then in 2001, he is in Jason X, which one, is... One uh, of my favorite Friday the 13th movies. Yeah, I mean, I remember watching this on like the sci-fi channel when I was like in high school and making fun of it really bad with my friends, but also being like, this is fun, though. Like. Yeah. You know, Jason beats up a simulation of teenage girls and just, like, you know, has them both in, like, bags and just, like, keeps whacking them. It's, it's amazing. It's kind of why I like this movie. It's like a it's like a Friday the 13th's greatest hits yeah. movie, you know? And they just are fully being silly about it. Yeah. So I, I enjoy it. It's also, uh, I think it's interesting, too, because... Um, this is not a Cronenberg movie, but Cronenberg <laughs> is, is in, in this, this movie, movie yeah. with Silverman. So, like, you know, after being directed by Cronenberg for years and years and years, they also just, like, both get to act in the same movie. Yeah. And both of them have really small bits. Like, Cronenberg is, like, that guy that's, like, we're moving Jason and then gets murdered right away because moving Jason is a terrible <laughs> yeah. idea, yeah. obviously. Um, yeah, he's so funny. He, like... I I love whenever he plays characters in movies. Me too. Because he's got like one mode and it's just David Cronenberg who kind of talks a little quietly. Yeah. And so it's like it's really sexy. Every character <laughs> that he plays is just like, yeah, we're we're gonna be moving Jason down yeah. down the hall. Honestly, I think the reason I like Nightbreed as much as I do is because he's a fucking psychopathic uh, murderer and that I'm looks fucking, fucking awesome. into it. Yeah. He's hot in that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the design of that character is like so awesome. Yeah, like it's one of the best like slasher masks yeah. ever. And then when he's not he's doing that, he's just being like kind of that crazy psychiatrist. Yeah. That's like, uh, what? What's up? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> that is the one mode that David Cronenberg has. Uh, yeah, he like seduces that uh, that poor woman, uh, <laughs> and then like straight up murders her, and <laughs> it's just like, oh god. Um, but yeah, like. Uh, Silverman plays, uh, like, again, a pretty small role. It also seems like maybe he just, like, because he's, like, it looks like he's laying down, like, and he's on a video screen talking to someone. So I also wonder, like, just if he was having health issues or something, because he's, like, not mobile at all in I what we're watching. I tell if it was that or if it was, like, literally part of the plot of the movie where it's, like, because the gut, it's, like, the captain of the ship that we're watching is, like, basically calling a friend of his to be like, hey, what do you know about this thing that I just picked well, up? Like, how much is it worth? Yeah, he's, like, trying to he's trying to sell uh, these things that yeah. he's, like, including Jason Voorhees' corpse. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so, like, I got the impression that's just a dude that's, like, laying in his quarters or whatever, like, yeah. his tight little quarters in, in the... But you could be right that there was a reason they, they had him. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Um, could, but he's fun in this little scene. It's, again, it's the kind of scene that he has where... He gives a bunch of pivotal information yeah. about, like, do you understand what you have there? His name is Jason Voorhees. He's, yeah. like, one of the most famous serial killers. So he yeah. like, He's like, that, that'd be worth fucking so much money. People yeah, yeah. love crazy shit like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, you know, he's very, very small in this, but I enjoyed him very much. I really like this very stupid movie. Oh, me too. Yeah. It's so, so stupid. So good. Uh, and then in 2004, his last uh 
film was STV, uh, The Ruining, uh, okay. with Wings Hauser. Okay. Um, it, oh, okay. Uh, this was the what was written on the cover. I assume it was like the VHS cover of this, but it was just so funny. I needed to write it down. It says, Becky's not a bad girl. She's a dog girl, and it's breeding time. What? What is this movie about? What does that mean? <laughs> it's like, I want to watch it just based off of what is written there. That is horrifying in some way. Absolutely what horrifying. Um, and then, yeah, the only information I found out about him was um, he had been married but um it was listed that he was with um he's been with his partner greg stevenson since 1989 um so he um that's great yeah so like he was also like an unexpected like uh queer icon that i did not uh expect to see uh but i was like oh that's cool like i would have loved to know more about that as well but yeah um that is, it's so, uh, I don't know, it's kind of sad that we don't have, like, more information on these two dudes I that I think are, like, very, very good actors yeah. that I, in my mind, are, like, kind of, like, significant in yeah. in the history of, like, movies. Well, and especially, like, uh, I mean, Silverman, it's crazy he only has 25 credits because yeah. I feel like he is in so many, like, pivotal things and, like, genre things that people really love. Yeah. But even Dvorsky, where it's, like, like, People love Videodrome now. They didn't then, maybe, yeah, but yeah. like that's another movie over time that has like such a big following and is this beloved film. And so it's like weird that people didn't even go back and try to like interview him or like talk to him and like get more information. So it's just like I'm like I wanna wanna know more. Yeah, it makes me wonder if they they are maybe a little more reclusive and mm -hmm. just being canadian actors yeah. where it's like they just they only take work when it's like a canadian production if it's just easier to be a reclusive yeah actor you know yeah and i'm all, like that's the other thing too I, I usually like to try to figure out like what are some things that these people do outside of acting Cause, like some of them have retired or whatever yeah. um but it's i just like couldn't find any information but yeah. they are two uh super interesting guys that i'm really glad we found like a, a usable format to talk about them with our cronin boys Cronin boys, yeah. Cool. Well, uh, any anything else you have? No, I just definitely need to see that movie, Millennium. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, you can find us everywhere on the internet at Killer Bees Podcast. That's Killer BS Podcast. Uh, you can find me online at Phil Modolfio. It's with an F. Uh, check out my letterbox. Yeah, I'm Tori Potenza on the things, uh, you know, taking care of our killer bees, social media and, and whatnot. Um, yeah, you can read my stuff on Movie John, including my coverage of the film festivals and uh, yeah, my my women who kill column shit like that. Nice. All right. Let's wrap it up. All right. Buzz. Buzz. Buzz.